Well, good morning, Lakeside. Good morning to all of our guests we have with us. It's great to see you here. Uh, how fun was the kids' program? Right? Just give, them, give them another hand. I, I, I admit, I kind of secretly root for things to go sideways during the kids' program. You're always kind of looking for one kid to get all the other kids in line or somebody to jump off the stage, because uh, that's where the good memories come from. And it, it's so fun making memories with your kids at Christmas, isn't it? And, and one of the reasons we can do that is because there's this little window of time where you can just blow their little mind if you get the right gift. And isn't it amazing what parents and grandparents will do to get the right present for their kid? You know, every year, they're, or at least every other year, so there's some kind of gift that just makes like half the population lose their minds to get that right thing. They'll run over their own grandma to get that thing. And the first one I remember being that way, anybody remember this one? The Cabbage Patch Kids. This goes back to 1983, and these things just blew up retail. You could buy these for 20 bucks, you could go around the corner to another store, sell it for 40 bucks, and then they would resell it for 50, which is about $150 in today's money. And it got so bad in some of the places they were selling these. This is a store in Pennsylvania. This is from an actual news clip. That is the store manager standing on the counter with a baseball bat, holding back the crowds, trying to get Cabbage Patch Kids because they got a new shipment. One woman actually had her leg broken during the rush to get Cabbage Patch Kids at this store. And this stuff just keeps happening. Back in the 70s, there was this guy named Gary Dahl. He put rocks in a box and he sold them for $3.99 in the early 70s. He called it a pet rock. He sold 1.5 million of them. So, and we just, we all have seen these before. I mean, there's been Furbies and Beanie Babies and Nintendo systems, whatever it is. And I saw an old uh, film clip from a TV reporter interviewing people about Cabbage Patch Kids. And he said this, most buyers can't express why this doll is so popular. Others can't even say why they want it, but they do want it. So what's that all got to do with Luke 2? Well, it tells us something about human nature. And as we look at this part of the Christmas story today, Luke chapter 2, we're going to be looking at a whole bunch of people who are all in a crowd. They're all looking for something. And we're going to meet a man who actually saw the truth a man who actually saw what was important in all that. So this morning, we're gonna meet this man named Simeon. We're going to look at what Simeon saw. He saw a person who can save us. He saw a painful future, and he saw a pointed choice for every one of us. So let's set the scene here in the scripture that Deb read earlier of Luke chapter two. You know Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You know Luke two, it's a familiar story that you hear every year if you come to church. And next week, our kids will be back up here on stage. Someone's gonna read Luke chapter two, that story about Jesus' birth. But today we're looking at what happens after that. So after the manger, after the shepherds, fill, or the shepherds and the angels are filling the sky, and when we looked at verses 21 through 35 that we read, we see Mary and Joseph doing two things that were required of every Jewish family who had a new baby in the house. In verse 21, the first thing we see them do is that Jesus was circumcised and he was given the name Jesus, which is what an angel told Mary to name him back in Luke chapter one. Then in verses 22 through 24, we see Mary and Joseph take Jesus to the temple. And maybe they look like this, just a young couple in a city where they don't live, going to the temple to follow the requirements that are laid out in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament book of Leviticus, toward the beginning of the Bible, chapter 12, it explains what a Jewish family has to do. 
And one of the things they do is to circumcise the male children, which they did. And then Leviticus 12 also says that if a woman has a male child, she will be viewed as ceremonially unclean for 40 days. At the end of that, she goes to the temple and she makes a sacrifice and she'll be considered clean after that. Now, you may not be familiar with the Old Testament law. So let's talk about that for just a minute. Some of this you already know. You've heard of the 10 commandments, that's part of the law. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. But there are a whole bunch of other rules that God gave the people of Israel to follow. And these rules were there to show something. They showed God is holy, you're not. So all these rules show all the ways we're not living up to God's holiness. So he would have the people of Israel go through washing and purification, and they had these special diets that they were eating. And all of that was showing them, if you want to be in God's presence, something's going to have to be done about your sin, because you're not as holy as he is. And the specific rules around childbirth, the ones that we see Mary and Joseph following here to the letter, they're designed to show every human being is born in a sinful state. None of us are born innocent, even when we're cute little babies. We're born with a sin nature that the minute we have a conscious thought, we're gonna start acting selfishly. If you've got toddlers, you see it, right? We've all been through this. So to make sure that Israel does not forget this truth about God's holiness and their sin, he gave them these rules to follow. He said, circumcise the boys. He said, go to the temple and be purified. And at that point, you're saying, okay, that's a lot of Old Testament law. What's it got to do with Christmas? Well, it tells us a lot about how Jesus is going to live. Because we look here in the first month that Jesus is on the earth, he is already following God's rules. This is Jesus. He holds the whole universe together. It says in Hebrews chapter one, he is God himself. Yet he is going through the same steps any Jewish human being had to go through. All of that is showing us he's living under the Old Testament law. And that is critical because that allows him to accomplish his mission on earth. All of us break God's law all the time. We do sinful things. But think if someone could come along, someone who could keep the law perfectly, never break one rule, that person would be in a position that they could actually pay the price for our sin, which is exactly what Jesus did. Look at what Paul says about Jesus in Galatians chapter four, four and five. It says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That's all of us, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And then Luke himself, later in chapter two, he wants to make sure we don't miss this. This is really critical. So in Luke 2.39, he's talking about Mary and Joseph going home. And he says, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their town of Nazareth. He is saying that he performed everything according to the law. Jesus subjected himself to the same rules that we have to follow. The difference is that we fail. We're sinful and we fail to follow God's law. Jesus never failed. And that started when he was barely a month old and God made sure that his parents took him to follow these rules of the law. So by going through all these things, God is showing right from the start, Jesus was going to identify with sinners. Jesus was going to follow the path that we walk. He was the only human being who's ever been born without sin because of the virgin birth. So he didn't have to be purified, but he went through the process to identify with us. When he grew up, he faced temptation in the wilderness, 
but he didn't sin, just like we do. And then ultimately, he went and died for us on the cross. He didn't have to pay that price. He wasn't guilty, but he paid it in our place. So all of this is showing from the very beginning, Jesus is showing, I will step into the place of all the guilty sinners and I will do it perfectly so I can pay their penalty. So with that background, we wanna meet this character, Simeon, that we're going to be talking about. In verse 25, in the verses we already read, we get introduced to this guy. He lives in Jerusalem. He's probably a very old man at this point. And we learn four important things about him right off the bat. Number one, it says there in verse 25, he's righteous. That means he treats other people well. It says he's devout. That means he's serious about his relationship with God. So we're seeing Simeon is very good on his horizontal and his vertical relationships. We see he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. What that means is he knows the prophecies in the Old Testament. He has studied those. He knows God has promised a deliverer to come and set people free. And then lastly, it says he had the Holy Spirit upon him. Now today, if you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit with you. But during this time, that was extremely rare. So here we have a guy who the Holy Spirit is giving him promises. He's also pushing him around the map in his daily life. He's showing him where to go, as we're going to see. Because in this story, in Luke chapter two, all of Simeon's waiting is coming to a head right now because he feels something. He feels something within him. It says, you need to go to the temple. You need to go there today. You need to go there right now. That was the Holy Spirit prompting him. And it just so happened to be the day, the hour that Mary and Joseph were there with Jesus. And you have to wonder, don't you, what did that feel like? What, what was Simeon thinking? Because as he's, he's going toward the temple and he's feeling like, I, I need to go. I just feel it today. And as he's going, he has to be thinking, what's drawing me there? And maybe he's starting to get excited. Maybe he's thinking, could this be it? I've never felt this before. I've never, I've never felt like I got to go today. Maybe today is the day. And then when he arrives, he finds the temple. It's full of people. There are people there making sacrifices. There are couples with babies all over the place because they're all following the same rules that Mary and Joseph are. But Simeon feels himself just getting lasered in on this one couple. He sees Mary and Joseph and he goes right to them because he immediately, he knows. He knows this is it. Because verse 28 says, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. It might've looked like this. This old man takes baby Jesus and it says he blessed God. He immediately goes into a song of praise. This is the fifth song of praise that we see in two chapters of Luke. Basically, everybody who finds out Jesus is there starts to praise God for delivering them by sending Jesus. And when Simeon, we, I mean, just think about it. Think about what this moment felt like for Mary and Joseph. Think when you hold your own baby or a grandbaby and you're holding them and somebody walks up and says, oh, that is the cutest kid. How great is that, right? I have a grandbaby. She's 16 uh, months old now. And I mean, she is the cutest kid in the world, right? Oh, I mean, look at this, right? Adorable. And she's so cute. Let me just prove it that uh, my niece, who's the cousin of, of uh, Danny's mom, my daughter, my niece told my daughter, well, I probably won't even have kids now because they'll never be as cute as yours, right? She's not lying. I mean, she is. But think about it. No matter how cute 
your kid is, no matter how much people come up and say, oh, they're adorable, I don't think anybody has ever come up to me and looked at her and said, I can die in peace because I saw your grandbaby. We don't say that, but that's what Simeon says. Simeon looks at Jesus, he says, I can die in peace because I have seen this child. How do you take that kind of compliment as new parents? What did Mary and Joseph think? They didn't know what to make of it. Because it says in verse 33, his father and his mother marveled. I bet they did. They're trying to think, what? Oh, something as special is happening, but what exactly is it? Now, we've heard this Christmas story so many times, and it's easy to gloss over this and say, well, of course Simeon was excited. It was Jesus. But we want to stop and say, well, what exactly did he see? What was it that had Simeon so moved that day? So the first thing we want to look at is he saw a person who can save us. You know, throughout human history, people have been looking for some kind of salvation, haven't they? People know we have problems, whether that's on the global level, the wars that affect millions of people, all the way down to the breakdown of one single family, or just the the anguish in one person's heart. And people turn to all kinds of places, trying to find something to fix that ache, or the emptiness, or the guilt that is in their heart. But Simeon already said, I've told you where to look. And look where he was looking. When Simeon said, my eyes have seen your salvation, he wasn't putting his eyes on some kind of like philosophical framework. His eyes were not on some um, list of religious rituals. He wasn't looking at some list of good works he has to do. His eyes were not on a social program. His eyes were not on some truth that he discovered in his own heart. His eyes were on what? Jesus. He had waited to lay his eyes on God's salvation the entire time. And Simeon knew he didn't find a perfect what. He found a perfect who. It's the person of Jesus. And look at what a a wonderful, enviable place Simeon finds himself in after he looks at Jesus. In verse 29, he says, you are letting your servant depart in peace. His soul is finally at rest. His searching is over. He is saying, I have seen all I need to see. There's nothing left for me to chase anymore. There are no more regrets that I need to overcome. There are no more things I have to accomplish. He said, I've found Jesus and that's enough. That solved everything for me. One of my favorite shows is about a character who's got just a ton of baggage that he carries around with him. And in one of the early episodes of the show, they're establishing the character and the hero sits across the table from somebody and this guy looks him in the eye and he says, I can sense that you have an unquiet mind. Unquiet. Is that your mind? When you have a minute to think, is your mind just churning all the time because it's full of worry and because you think I'm not doing enough? Or you think, I wonder what everybody thinks of me. What do I need to change? Simeon did not have that problem. Not anymore. Why? Because he was looking at Jesus. And he knew God's promises are true. The answer has arrived. And here's a key point we've got to see about Simeon. When we see him say, I'm at peace He finds the consolation. When he says the consolation of Israel, he said, I'm looking for the Messiah. Now I've seen him. Keep in mind, Israel was looking at this time, they thought they were going to get a political leader. 
It's maybe a military leader. Somebody's going to come in and throw Rome off, get rid of the, all the oppression. And now here's Simeon saying, I can die in peace. But what has changed about his physical circumstance? Nothing, right? Rome has still got its thumb on Israel. Simeon is still an old man who's probably going to die soon. Yet his soul is quiet. His soul is at ease because now he'd seen one thing, one person. He'd seen the baby that God had promised. Simeon probably did not fully understand what Jesus was going to do during his time on earth. Really, nobody did at that point. But the Holy Spirit had set Simeon's heart at ease simply by letting him encounter Jesus, which meant God was going to set everything right. Simeon was ready to die totally at peace because he knew I'm in God's good hands now. What we see throughout Jesus's life, and when we read the rest of the gospels, we begin to understand the salvation he offers, the peace he offers, it's not political in nature. He was here to set peace between God and man because our sinful behavior, our selfishness, our wrongdoing, it drives a wedge between us and our creator. And our souls are longing to restore that fellowship. We want to be connected to our creator, even if you haven't put those words to it yet. When you feel longingness and, em and emptiness, you're feeling that separation from God. So Jesus goes on. He lives a sinless life. He dies in our place. Our sins are paid for because of that, if we accept it. And now we can have peace with God. It isn't in this life. It's not political. Now, there are certainly people in this room who have trusted Christ. There are those of us who have said, I, I believe Jesus is my Savior. I've put my faith in him. Yet, maybe you still don't have the kind of peace that Simeon talks about here. I know because I talk to people, right? A lot of us struggle with that. There are professing Christians who still have unquiet minds. Christians who still have a lot of anxiety and pressure on them to perform better. It is possible to have peace with God, to have your sins forgiven, but not have peace in this life. Why does that happen? Because we don't trust Jesus is enough. That's why. We still think we need something else on top of Jesus to give us peace. The peace we are craving comes when we do what Simeon did. We drew close to Jesus. He connected with Jesus. Nothing else in his life changed, but his life was complete because he was looking at Jesus. The next thing that Simeon saw was a painful future. You know, most of Luke 2, it's a joyous story. It's a family story. There's a baby, there's shepherds, there's angels. But after this song of praise that Simeon sings to thank God, his words take a dark turn. And for the first time, there is a shadow that falls on Luke chapter 2. And it is the shape of a cross, that shadow. Simeon looks, look what he says here. In verse 34, what Luke describes, Luke 34, Simeon blessed them, and then he said to Mary. Simeon looks Mary right in the eye, and he says some ominous things. He says, this child will make some fall and some rise. He says, this child is going to be a sign that is opposed. Many people are going to push back on what this child is. And most frightening of all, Simeon tells Mary as he's holding her baby, a sword will pierce through your heart. That's a jarring shift in tone from what else we've had in Luke 2. And imagine, what, what did Joseph and Mary think 
as this old man has just praised all these things. And he said, I can die in peace. I've seen your baby. And then he says these really ominous things. It's sobering, but it is absolutely essential that we talk about it because it explains why Jesus was the consolation of Israel and why Simeon saw hope. When God the Son became a human, when he became Jesus Christ, his destiny from the very beginning was to end in a brutal death in our place and then rise again. Remember, we said at the beginning, Mary was there to do these purification sacrifices. These things required by the Old Testament law. And they were surrounded by people doing that. All kinds of sacrifices being made that day. And all of that was showing people, your sin requires a payment. Your sin requires a payment in blood because that's the source of life. And all those sacrifices that were happening, the Old Testament law, all of them at the temple that day, all of that was pointing to that baby because Jesus came to earth to be the ultimate sacrifice. He was the one that ended all the need for all the other sacrifices. He paid it once. All those animal sacrifices, they were just showing the need for the ultimate sacrifice to come, which is Jesus. So from the very day of his birth, Jesus is headed for the cross so he could be our sacrifice. This is why last week when we did a live nativity, there was a red cross looming behind the stable because it had to show this is the path for Jesus. It's why he came. And we see this when we come to John chapter 19, we begin to understand more of what Simeon was saying because John 19 is a scene where we see Jesus hanging on the cross. And who was one of the people at the foot of that cross that day? It was Mary. And Mary had to be thinking that's what he's meant. When that old man said a sword will pierce your soul, I'm watching it today. He was foreseeing that. This is a lot, it's a, it's a big shadow to cast on Luke 2, but we have to talk about it because if we don't, we're missing the point on why Jesus came to earth. Mary and all the other people who love Jesus throughout his life, he would make these statements as he got closer to the cross saying, I'm gonna have to die. And they kept pushing back on that. They loved him and they said, we don't want that. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples in verse 21, it says, he began to show them that he was going to go to Jerusalem and he was going to suffer things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. And his disciple, Peter, hears that. He's like, I'm having none of that. Verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine? He rebukes Jesus. He says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And famously, Jesus goes to Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. From the beginning, Jesus had to die. That was the plan. Jesus knew that, and he said, nothing can stop that because I came to be that sacrifice. It's a painful reality in the Christmas story, but that is the price of our sin. And that is the only way we can be reconnected to God because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the life, no man come to the Father but by me, John 14, 6. That's what Simeon foresaw that day in the temple. And then lastly, Simeon foresaw all of us are going to have to make a pointed choice about this child. This is the biggest one I want you to leave here with today. Because the story of Jesus' birth, it's not just a heartwarming story we tell at the holidays, the way you watch a holiday movie because it makes you feel good. Simeon's words show us the story of Jesus has ramifications. 
ramifications for all of us. We are all required to take a side regarding what do you think of the life and work of Jesus Christ. In verse 32, Simeon says, Jesus will be a light for revelation. A light exposes things. Think about when you hear a noise in the backyard. If you've got floodlights, you go, you flick that switch. Whatever is out there in the yard is out there. It is caught in the light and you can see it. Simeon is saying the life and work of Jesus Christ are gonna shine this kind of light on the human heart. Simeon says in verse 35, thoughts from many hearts are going to be revealed. It's going to be exposed. Your position regarding Jesus Christ is caught out in the light. God can see it. God knows what you think one way or the other about who Jesus is, whether you've trusted him. This Old Testament law that we've been talking about this whole time, it shows how far our hearts are for meeting God's standard. And Jesus is the light of revelation saying there is a way to reconnect, that's me. Now, this message, this message that we're all sinful, a message that none of us can save ourselves, that is not really popular in our culture. And Simeon called that one out. Also, he says it here in verse 34. It is a sign that is opposed. People are gonna oppose this. That's the natural result when you switch a floodlight on. When you expose stuff people don't want exposed, they're gonna strike back at the light. They want the light knocked out. They don't wanna be exposed for what they are. And people take issue with a lot of things taught in the Bible. But probably the single most controversial thing in the Bible is that you can't save yourself. Nobody likes to hear that. But the light is shining on all of us and that's what the light shows. And it rubs people wrong. Maybe it's rubbed somebody wrong here today to keep saying you're sinful, to keep saying you can't save yourself. But if we don't say it, we're neglecting the Christmas story. That's what Simeon foresaw. And we have to recognize the situation we're in and how badly we need that salvation. So here at the end, I want everyone here to think about what, what does all this mean for me? What's the story mean? We are blessed, we have a lot of visitors here today. And what brought you here? Why, why are you here? Well, a lot came to see the kids do their thing, which is great. That's an awesome reason to come. But maybe, it, maybe it's possible there's something more happening there. Just like the day Simeon was drawn to the temple. He was drawn to the temple by the Holy Spirit. He wasn't really sure what he was gonna find. He just knew he had to go. And he was drawn there on the exact day at the exact hour that he got to encounter Jesus. So who knows? Maybe you came today to be the time that you encounter Jesus. Picture yourself like Simeon. He's weaving through the city of Jerusalem. He's drawn in a way he doesn't really fully understand toward the thing he's been waiting for his entire life. Our own lives are crowded, just like the streets of Jerusalem, just like the temple was that day. And the world around us, it was crowded with voices that are all shouting at us, saying, I've got the thing that can save you right here. They're giving us a bunch of promises. They all say, I've got the thing that'll give you consolation. I've got the thing that'll finally give you the quiet mind you've been looking for. We start to think, yeah, if I could just hit the right amount in the bank account, then my mind would be at ease, wouldn't it? Or we think, man, if I could just 
get my kids to act right, then my mind will be at ease. Or if I could get the promotion, or if I could solve the health problem, or anything else we're chasing, we're on this quest, trying to find the peace of mind. And when we keep find, can't find it, we just keep trying stuff. I was reading an author this week who said this, the phrase, you belong here, you belong here is the lie told to us by everyone from Disney to Las Vegas. We try to cover up not knowing who we are by letting everyone else sell us an identity or at least a distraction from needing one. But whether you slip into the persona of a Disney person or a Vegas person or somewhere in between there, it all will leave you empty. Our souls have infinite longings that can't be filled with finite things. We see these stories about people knocking each other over to buy the hot toy, whatever it is that year. We look at them like, what a bunch of fools chasing after a toy. We get frustrated with our kids. We buy them that toy, that thing that they just desperately want. And a month later, we find it under the bed and they've forgotten about it. After we killed ourselves getting that thing. But as adults, we have to remember, we're still chasing our own version of Cabbage Patch Kids. <laughs> we're chasing our own version of Furbies and Beanie Babies and Nintendos and Barbie Dream Houses, whatever it is. I mean, guys even call our stuff big boy toys, right? We're chasing these things. And the author of Ecclesiastes walked this road a long time ago, and he came to a conclusion about it. This is what he said. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, 9 to 11. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem, and my wisdom, it remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept from my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity, striving after wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Do you remember what Luke 2.25 says Simeon was waiting for. The consolation of Israel. And that word consolation. Later in his life, Jesus grows up and he's giving a sermon that's recorded in Luke chapter six. And he uses the same Greek word for consolation. But this is what he says that time. Woe to you who are rich for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now for you shall mourn and weep. Jesus is telling us our consolation should not be in this world. He's saying it cannot be in this world. Our consolation and our peace and our quiet mind, all of that comes from knowing we have eternal life waiting for us with God. And in this life, our peace comes from saying, Jesus is enough to get me through whatever it is that I'm facing. Simeon walked through the crowd to get to the temple that day. How many times did he looked at that temple? Don't you think, he lived in Jerusalem. He saw this every day. He had probably seen the smoke rising of all those sacrifices every day of his life, but he had never found peace yet. He only found peace when he saw what? When he saw who? He saw Jesus. Don't settle for the trinkets the world promises you whether it's Christmas time or any other time. And believe the Bible when it says everything the world promises you is a trinket. Simeon finally found real peace when he looked at Jesus. 
If you have never put your faith in Jesus, today could be the day that you find the peace of trusting him. Make peace with God through Jesus. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, but you're still plagued with an unquiet mind, today could be the day you fully lean on him as all you need so you don't have to worry about this world. The consolation of the world has come. It's the form of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this vivid story that we're looking at people we can relate to, to a mom and a dad and a baby and to, to an old man who's been waiting, trying to figure out when the promise will come true. And we just pray that for all the hearts here in this room today, those who have never put their faith in Christ, that today they can hear that the longing in their heart can only be filled through Christ. That's what we are all meant to seek is that relationship with God and Christ makes it possible. I pray that they will open their, their hearts to considering following Christ, leaning wholly on him for salvation and for the Christians in the room. Lord, there are so many Christians who have faith in Christ yet still struggle day to day. We, we worry about so many things in this world. We're still looking for value in so many things. We're still looking for our identity in so many things and that gives us a mind with no peace. I just pray that you will help call all of us to put our trust alone in Christ, not just for eternity, but day to day, that we will see he is the peace we're looking for because we are redeemed and God sees the value in us because of what Jesus did for us. I pray that that'll be a comfort to people today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.